Welcome to another C-Speak. Carter Dredge, how are you? I'm doing excellent. That's a great radio name, by the way. Carter Drudge, I think that could have been a good radio name. You may have missed your calling. Oh, thank you. (laughs) But you are probably the first chief transformational officer we've had on C-Speak. So let's talk a little bit about that, your path to becoming a healthcare CTO. Absolutely. Well, first, a little bit about what a chief transformation officer is. Think of it as a very wonderful combination between a chief strategy officer, chief innovation officer, and head of business and corporate development, doing national partnerships and innovative things like that. So putting all this together and putting it in practical speaking terms, my job is to stepwise improve the healthcare system, not just incrementally improve it. As a simple, for instance, as a transformationalist, when we talk about how can we make uh, a bill more understandable to a patient, I would ask the question as a transformationalist, do we even need a bill at all? How can we move to something that is even cleaner, more electronically adjudicated, and just as simple as swiping a, swiping a credit card? Yeah, so how, how, how would that take on, because um, I'm trying to envision that in my mind, how, how would that take on a form then if you don't have a bill? It's interesting, but what would happen? Yeah, so the, the point is in healthcare, and there's a, there's a significant need for financial payment reform in the United States to encourage us to do more high-value activities, not just more activities. And without getting through all of the complicated details with that, let's just say with the advances in technology, with the advances in other types of consumer digital approaches, there's many ways we can do things fundamentally differently. Um, one thing I also want to mention about how I came to be in this role, I think it's, it's relevant for my particular passion related to this. So I actually grew up in a four-generation home. My my great-grandmother was born in 1899, died in 1994 at home. And how this four-generation home upbringing came to be was my mom was in a very serious car accident when she was 15 years old, and her mother was killed, and she was paralyzed. And her entire world changed. And so at this point, my, my grandfather at the time moved in to take care of his daughter, my mom who was paralyzed, me and my twin brother, and also take care of his aging mother. And so we interacted with the healthcare system all the time. Uh, unfortunately, so many times those interactions, the system failed frequently. The system is not designed to really coordinate a lot of really complex care. It does a lot of things where it's really set up more around what I would call a silo of excellence. It fixes a unique problem um, pretty well. But once you start to have individuals that have multiple complex problems, multiple social or behavioral health issues, the system is not designed really well. So this is more than a job to me. It's a lifelong passion because when I see things that can be improved, I gave a simple example of a bill, but more meaningful is how do we engage with people to meet their clinical needs in a way that is affordable and is a way that is really tailored to them. And too many times or not, we have gaps in the system. So I'm really driven to make it better. Carter, I'm curious, are the forces driving healthcare change coming from within SSM or from the outside? Great question. And I would say both. Clearly, you know, very little time passes between having another a data point about healthcare being extremely expensive. Um, access into the system is often difficult. 
But also at SSM, we have a lot of people who simply want to do the right thing. We're a mission-driven organization. We serve the poor and the vulnerable populations, particularly in our communities where we are. And we are not satisfied with the current state of how things are, and we want to make it better. So there are definitely external factors that are driving the changes to make it better, not just in uh, St. Louis, but across the country. But coupled with that, and even, even coming on stronger than those external forces is a desire to improve people's lives. And so we're, we're throwing our full weight into this problem inside our, our ministry. I understand that SSM was one of the first members of Civica Rx. Uh, tell us some more about Civica Rx and its impact on healthcare. Absolutely. I love to talk about this. Uh, Civica is a new not-for-profit generic drug company. So there were several of us that, that got together. The idea originated out of an individual who's a friend of mine named Dan Lillianquist. He's actually a, a chief strategy officer as well for a large health system. And when we had all these really significant price hikes on these essential drugs, we realized there was just a big market failure. We got together and said, it's unlikely that the federal government in any short period of time is going to negotiate drug prices um, and any one individual system isn't big enough to solve the problem. So we collectively got together. We raised over $100 million, and we set up a new company, and we set it up in a fundamentally new way. So if you want to have an example of what's the difference between just simple strategy and transformation, here's a perfect one. We set it up as a public utility. Nobody owns this company. We raised money from several billionaire philanthropists and not-for-profit and for-profit health systems. And because they were the ones that were putting in the money, they were also the ones that bought the drugs. So in, the es in essence, they want the price to be as cheap as possible. So all parties involved have no incentive to actually increase the price of the drug. And then we made several other commitments where it says everyone in the country gets the same price Everyone can access it appropriately. And again, there's no incentive to actually make profit on these drugs. So we took a problem that was systemically really challenging. And instead of just trying to do it in a little bit different way, we did it in a very different way. And as a result, we uh, can deliver needed accessible drugs to patients that desperately need them at a fraction of the cost of what's done today. That's an example of what I would call transformational innovation, not just incremental improvement. Carter, you said a vow to self-disrupt are key elements in the health systems formula. Can you touch on some of the self-disruptions that have been initiated and your assessment of the outcome? Absolutely. So when we talk about self-disruption, the point is if we're trying to get to a new point, um, this is a, a big point about the difference between a service and a business model. And this is a very important concept in, in disruptive innovation. So let's just say if we're trying to work with a particular group of patients um, that are dealing with uh, maybe a chronic disease like diabetes or um, something else like that, where and if we realize there's maybe a problem with them getting into a doctor's office or the hospital because they have transportation needs, a service would be we're going to figure out a way how to coordinate transportation to a particular medical appointment. That's fine but it's maybe not entirely disruptive. What a disruptive model might be is we're going to re-engineer the entire business 
We could provide them with things where they can access things virtually. They could have some elements of artificial intelligence that can help uh, solve some of these problems remotely from their home directly. And in the end, instead of trying to just figure out how to get them to a doctor appointment, we may eliminate the entire need of going to the doctor in the first place. So, And then what we will do in some examples that we're doing is we're working with some insurance companies to figure out how to not get paid just when they come in. How can we figure out how to create a way that they may not have to come in at all and that uh, we can work with an insurance company to share in that value so that we can do it again? And this is a really important point about healthcare innovation, that we need to create what's called a virtuous cycle of innovation in healthcare. Because too often today, when a health system steps outside of its traditional role, thinks outside the box, and does something that helps patients, maybe helps them significantly, but they no longer need to come to the hospital, those hospitals get paid less. And therefore, they don't have as much money to reinvest in doing it at a grander scale. So one of the self-disruptions and that vow to self-disruption is for us as a system to figure out new and stepwise ways to keep people out of the hospital if they don't need to be there. If they are in the hospital, the most effective and safest way to treat them. And then ultimately enabling them to spend more time in their home, which is where most people want to be. Carter, you're implementing change in four states, 24 hospitals with 40,000 employees. What can other industries learn from SSM when it comes to transforming an entire business model? Excellent question. When you're dealing with an organization that is this large, um, it's really important to understand which elements need to be local and which elements need to be across the entire ministry to leverage the entire scale. And I can give some specific examples. When you're building a new technology, you really need to do that at scale. It's very unlikely that an individual hospital or an individual group of physicians are going to be able to have the amount of business capital to develop um, a technology solution that would really need to be provided at a much bigger scale than at one individual state. And so we will design some of that, um, that innovation on a technology front at a system level. But then what we'll do is we'll look at our local communities, understand which problems are most prevalent, where we have support from local communities, governments, other business partners, and then we'll, we'll apply some of the things that we've learned or developed from a technological standpoint into those specific communities. The one other thing that is really important in and a lot of my counterparts inside of our ministry that are responsible for the day-to-day operations is the importance of making all of these goals really visual. And so we have what we call the SSM operating system, where all of the goals, even though they start at the top of the organization, every nursing floor in a hospital, every department throughout our organization has those same goals very visually, to where we don't wait for a change to say, we don't look out the back window and have to wait a month to see if we're winning. Every day, every shift, we can see how we move the needle on what we're trying to accomplish. And by making it that visual, um, you can do a lot with a lot of people. The one last thing I would say with working within an organization of 40,000 people is while you try to ensure while there's top-down clarity, you also ensure bottoms-up innovation. And this is where you can actually change very quickly because you can implement thousands of new ideas 
by tapping into the brilliant expertise of caregivers of how to do simple, small things dramatically better. What are the biggest challenges facing the healthcare industry? Yeah, some of the biggest challenges facing the healthcare industry today is that many of the solutions required, everything has to change at concert. If an individual player in the healthcare ecosystem decides to change independently of the others, it can only go so far. So if you have a health system that decides to say, we are going to do everything we can to create models that keep people at home, that no longer have to uh, provide as high acuity types of services, that's great. But if the payer community does not come along to pay in a different way, there's only so long uh, even a well-intentioned health system can finance that type of a change. Vice versa, if a payer comes in and chooses to pay differently and those health systems are not able to take on that new payment reform, they could incur significant losses. While at the same time, we have technology entrepreneurs and others that are creating solutions, but we have to be able to have a way to actually get that into a patient. So we could have the greatest technology in the world, but if we don't have a way to directly engage with a patient and make it affordable, sustainable, and ultimately achieve a clinical outcome, things don't improve. And so, to again, in summary, multiple pieces have to move, and no one player owns all of those pieces. And several of those big pieces also include government agencies because of how involved they are in healthcare. It is a very complicated problem to solve, but it is doable with the right innovators that come together because, in the end, it's the right problem to solve. Carter, what are the unique challenges facing SSM Health and the other healthcare providers in the St. Louis region? So at SSM Health, we are unreservedly committed to the poor and the vulnerable populations, to serving those on Medicaid and those who are, are underprivileged. Uh, we have been able to do this by serving all people to where there are some things as a health system we make money on, and there are some things we lose a lot of money on. And so one of the the pressures that we face in the industry as new innovations come into play is if those new innovations only serve one single group, they will maybe tailor to a group that only has commercial insurance. And if they uh, peel off some of those services, we as a health system and to some extent offering as a safety net of health services um, are, are left trying to figure out how to cover some of these other deficits to serve everyone. So this is why innovative business model change is so important. The healthcare business model of today uh, involves serving serving all people and kind of making it all work in the end. As those services get more distinct, we're going to have to figure out how to be able to continue to serve those populations uh, that need the services the most in a new and innovative way to continue to uh, provide that care that's needed. So this is a time of great transformation and innovation in healthcare. Where do you think the biggest opportunities lie for health systems? Oh, fantastic question. I, with all of the, uh, the change, I am an eternal optimist. Anytime there is systemic change, there is massive opportunities uh, to do things better. I think that we have seen good signs of some very strong partnership from the payer community to pay for these types of services, innovative services, differently. I think that will unlock new approaches that haven't even been fully contemplated to date. I'm very excited by the digital and technology revolution, artificial intelligence uh, to streamline a lot of these functions. It's a big challenge. to uh, Clinician shortages is a 
big deal. It takes a long time to train physicians and nurses and to get really specialized knowledge. How do we leverage their expertise and, and really codify it in some of these other forms of technology? And then two, as a millennial myself, I'm very big and bullish on the gig economy of how that can actually help. So just how Uber has done it in transportation or Airbnb in the hotel industry, uh, within the next five years, you will absolutely see the gig economy entering into healthcare, more fluidity related to how we can tap into a specialized body of clinical expertise. Some of these types of things already exist today in what's called the non-medical home care space of taking care of people in their homes when they're elderly. And you'll have pools of individuals that have all been trained and screened and they can go in. I can take two hours here, two hours there. It's a much more efficient model of how do you get access to specialized labor. Um, And there's going to be many other ways that you will continue to see that enter into the healthcare space. Carter, what else is new and exciting at SSM Health these days? There is a lot of great things going on at SSM Health. Um, We have a commitment to partner with many organizations. Um, The civic example is just one of several. Over the next uh, 12 to 18 months, you will likely see SSM announce multiple other large-scale partnerships. We'll be forming new companies to be able to address specific needs of populations Uh, We're partnering with world-renowned physicians to create new ways of solving problems. It's just an exciting time to be in healthcare. Uh, if If I come back to when I grew up as a child and having a mother who was homebound for over a decade and stuck in her home, and how back then it was a really tough sentence to be dealt While in the future it may not be easy, it certainly will be better because the access to the outside world through more high-touch approaches to easier access to your doctor and to honestly with just other ways to communicate with individuals beyond the the four walls of your home will be very impactful. So for me... While there's a lot of talk about how much change has to be made, I think the future for healthcare is very bright. So, Carter, I have a, I have a four-year-old daughter, and when she's uh, older, I'm guessing she's going to go to the doctor a lot differently than a lot of us have over the years, right? And you even have now situations where you can do a virtual office visit, right? Absolutely. So you may be in a situation where you have some kids sick at home. Instead of mobilizing the entire family to get them into a doctor's office, we have options today where you can, with the click of a button and a, and a smartphone, access, uh, access a, a doctor visit. There'll be more and more things like that in the future. There'll be more and more ways where in the not-too-distant future, if there's a time where you have to be admitted, you'll get admitted to your house. They'll have all the types of equipment and things like this to be able to serve you there. And uh, the way that your four-year-old daughter interacts with the healthcare system over the next period of time will be remarkably different, more high-touch, and honestly, just uh, more personalized. Carter, Mike, thanks for joining us today for another C-Speak interview. C-Speak, sponsored by PNC Bank.